0: Hi, everyone. I'm Lori LeBay, and welcome back to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. If you enjoyed our opening music, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band, and you can download that on any of your favorite music platforms. For those of you that are new to Alzheimer Speaks Radio, we are about sound information, not just sound bites. We like to raise everyone's voice, big and small, around the world to add value to your dementia journey. Now, before I introduce our guests today, I always like to do a little bit of housekeeping. So I'm going to do some shout outs for you. One is to Arthur's Senior Care. I can't thank them enough. They sponsor Arthur's Memory Cafe, which we do the second and the fourth Wednesday of each month. We are still doing that virtually and anybody around the world is welcome to join us. Also to uh, Brookdale North Oaks here in Minnesota. We do a Caregiver Connect meeting in person the last Wednesday of each month from 10 to 11 a.m. at the Shoreview Community Center. And I would love for you to partake in either of those or both of those. Um, Just reach out to me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com. And then of course I would be amiss if I didn't mention Dementia Map our global resource directory which keeps growing each and every day. So please go to dementia map.com to find out more information and it is free, you don't have to set up an account, so don't worry about any of those types of things. And then if you have a service product or tool you would like entered in there, again, reach out to me, I'd be glad to give you a tour on how you can set that up. We have about 150 different categories. And uh, we're always looking for new content. Thank you so much for all of you who have visited so far. And last, I want to mention an opportunity where you can join Alzheimer's disease research in just minutes from your home. It's called Picnic Health. So just go to picnichealth.com forward slash speaks and sign up and you'll actually receive $25 just for doing that. Picnic Health collects and digitizes all of your medical records into one online account. And then you can consent to share anonymized data of your records um, with medical researchers. And by examining this real-world data in your medical records, researchers can find out a lot of information that they can't find out in clinical trials. And there's a lot of important information in each person's unique health journey. So feel free to share your journey. And again, if you are caring for someone with Alzheimer's, you can sign up on their behalf and manage their medical records in a Picnic Health account as well. Learn more at picnichealth.com forward slash speaks and get that $25 when you sign up. So we are going to hear from the foot bar walker, and we will
1: be right back. Introducing the life-changing footbar bar walker.
0: I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The foot bar walker revolutionized my care of George. It absolutely benefits the patient and the caregiver both, and that's the beauty of it. It's so easy to use. It folds up just like a dream. I got it in and out of the car without any effort at all. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about a hundred and ninety-two thousand dollars. Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle to get up from a seated position? Are you a caregiver dealing with physical pain and stress as you help your patient? The Foot Bar Walker was designed to assist not only the patient, but also the caregiver. Patients have more control standing up and no lifting from the caregiver is required. See how it works at at thefootbarwalker.com. That's thefootbarwalker.com. Peggy, would you recommend the footbar walker? Do I ever. I would not be in the health that I'm in today at this age had it not been for the footbar walker. Well, thanks for coming back. Uh, We're going to have a really interesting conversation about slowing down and yet still moving forward and not losing losing your pace. And we are so lucky to have Jonas Troy with us, and he is with Mind Kicker, and he has a martial arts background. And today he's going to talk about, you know, how we must dare to slow down without losing speed. And he uses um, unique holistic concepts to do that. This is really important in the world we're living with because, my gosh, things are moving awfully fast and seem a little bit out of control for so many people, I hear so often. Another little tidbit about Jonas that you want to know is that he cared for his father with dementia, and he also works with leadership groups in coaching, as well as speaking and teaching sustainable leadership on how to improve your life and your work by combining Western technology and Eastern wisdom. So I know this is going to be a fascinating conversation. He is very unique in his field, and he's active all around the world. He's helped thousands of people maximize their potential by using digital analysis, reflections of emotions, thoughts, and behaviors using mental training techniques. Among other things um, of interest, he has worked with monks in Japan, learning how to change people's subconscious patterns and create new and better strategies for life. So please help me welcome Jonas. So Jonas, I am so excited to have you with us today. So thank you so much for coordinating this. I know with time zones and stuff, it can be a little crazy. You're over in Sweden. It's morning here. And I know it's beginning of evening there. Let's start out with, with asking you know, have you been personally touched by dementia in your own family or circle of friends?
1: Yes, I have. Um, my dad had dementia the last five years of his life. So that's where I was personally touched and uh, became a, like a caregiver for my dad.
0: So you definitely had firsthand experience through this whole whole uh, journey. I want to have you tell people a little bit about your background with your physical and mental training. You have learned to kind of mix the Eastern wisdom with with Western knowledge as well. So why don't you talk a little bit about that?
1: Absolutely. Um, Now, I mean, I grew up in Sweden and uh, I was uh, like... Adopted to Sweden when I was one year old because my parents in Sweden, they couldn't get any kids by their own. So with the third miscarriage, uh, my mom got a tip from a doctor in Sweden about meditation and um, she she wanted to try it. And when she started to meditate, she had told me about uh, the story that she got the insight that she supposed to adopt a a child from anywhere. But when she was meditating, she was like the Eastern was more natural, she thought. So she adopted me and uh, my dad uh, welcomed me uh, like 47 years ago to Sweden. And they started to teach me meditation when I was very young. I don't remember when we started, but they told me later. But my first memory is like when I was six years old, I was supposed to go out and play with my friends who was only sweets, blonde hair and kids around the neighborhood. So uh, when I opened my door and they saw me, they just... The oldest guy in the the gang, he shouted, like, damn, what ugly you are. And the other kid, he also reflect, um, respond as immediately in the group, like, Chinese, go home. And th- these two guys, they were a little bit older, like 10, 12 years old. But when I heard that, I just felt grounded. And I told the first guy, yeah, that's your opinion, but I know that I'm a loving and caring person. And the other guy, I said, yeah, you maybe think I'm from China, but I'm from South Korea. So that was my start of a journey about like being grounded and uh, within the security about who I am. So I grew up, I went to school. And uh, my background in the school is like, I was too creative and too playful for the teachers. So they put me outside the classroom instead of inside. Uh, but nowadays, when I grow up and work with creativity, so I still have use for that. I build always creativity and uh, secured about who I am. So that's my story about how I... Came into the martial art. It was like I was very energetic kid in the teenager time, and the martial art club opened up in my hometown, a small one, and that led into the Eastern wisdom within martial arts. But the trainer, he was more, also more into the like the philosophy about the way of thinking, the way of acting. And the respect and discipline and so on. So it became like a lifestyle for me. And I found out like martial arts have helped me very much in my life. I mean, daily life, in my work life, in my private life. So I've been carrying around the martial arts, the way of living. So that's my short story about who I am.
0: Wow. Well, kudos to your folks for getting you that centered at that young of age, coming against bullies. I mean, that's unbelievable. And how you turn that situation around and someone else spoke up, felt comfortable to to stand in their, their space as well. Why don't you tell us about your experience in 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 general, living as as you've grown, as well as your life and your schooling, because if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, you did schooling around the world.
1: Yeah, I was uh, traveling around the world uh, during five years and uh, visit like countries, culture, uh, both the living culture, but also like food culture and the way of living in the different uh, part of the world uh so I've been travelling around two times around the world and uh, visited like fifty countries so i've always been curious about like how they do it and why they do it and and so on so I learned how they're living in the different part of the world uh, depending on what um, possibilities are for them but One major memory that I have is like when I was in Japan and um, I was visiting a a small island named Okinawa and they taught me and showed me like how the way of their lifestyle was like after a good night's sleep, they put on the clothes to, to harvest what they have been putting out or they're putting out the new to harvest later. So they did the physical work daily. And then they prepared the dinner. And uh, they told me, hey, no, too full. So they already told me, like, we're not eating there full. So we only stay, like, and that's been science by like 80%, I believe, I read like an article call about it, but they told me like, don't eat too much. And that's what we do in the Western world. And then if you have any problems, you talk about it before you go to a good night's sleep. So it was like a very profound way of living for me. So I did it three months. And it was really good insights that the body and the mind was really feeling good in that four parts. And uh, eventually I ended up as well in Japan with uh, the Japanese monks, the sand monks. And they also told me without tell, uh, telling me because it was a silent uh, monastery. So they told me by body language that for this one is um, that I remember it was like every morning, the first three mornings I was very tired. And they told me, this was in 1995, I, they told me that I'm sleeping and breathing with my mouth during the night. That's why I'm tired. So they taped my mouth and let, let me sleep with a tapered mouth. So I learned how to breathe through my nose. And that made me more energized uh, because they knew it. Like... Um, The air you uh, breathe in during uh, night sleep with your mouth is not good for your body. I don't really know the English word, but I hope you understand. So, I got so many like biohacks in, in my traveling, so that's I'm really grateful for
0: today. The breathing through the mouth, I know as I've gotten older, I think I tend to do that and I don't sleep as well. I think a lot of different things from just drying out the throat and, and so forth, probably an irritant, but that's interesting. I don't know if I'll tape my mouth shut tonight, but I'll be more conscious <laughs> about keeping my mouth closed when I sleep and see what happens there. Let's talk more about your journey with your with your father what was it like for you to hear of his diagnosis, or did you see symptoms prior to even bringing him into getting diagnosed?
1: yeah, about my dad about the dementia it was like i I could see uh um the signals about the dementia he like acting uh, differently, and he like yeah about like the memory, so I was like okay, here in Sweden you grow up, when you get old, your memory gets worse. But it was not uh, something else than just memory. So I I, I recognized the signals, uh, but I couldn't uh, tell what it was. But after a while, I understood maybe it's some kind of disease. And I was like yeah, hearing a with my friends who is, like, within the medical world. And they told me, like, it might be, like, Alzheimer's, dementia, and maybe it's getting old and the memory is just bad. So I was, like, curious about because I haven't heard about, like, dementia and Alzheimer's, and no one in my relatives had it. Uh, I haven't experienced something. So I was studying, looking for like how could I learn more about dementia and Alzheimer's. So I read a lot of things. Uh, I talked to a friend who was science about it and about friends who was working in the elderly care and so on, so, so they told me. And then I understood how that disease worked and I could see the similarity or like uh, the thing is like yeah it might be dementia but this is like two two years before he was diagnosed with dementia and that time he was uh, still at home in the house together with my mom and uh, she was getting frustrated every time i met her and she called me up and like now he forgot to turn off the oven and so on and she was having a disease as well but just physical so it was very physical exhausted for her so so that was um, my journey about uh, to found out find out uh, about my dad And the last five years, uh, after two years at home, he couldn't stay at home. So we needed to put him on a a caregiving home. So that was my journey, about to make the best thing that I could as living apart from him and very far away. uh, And my mom couldn't visit him as often she wanted because uh, of... uh, logistic problems and uh, physical problems and um, it was a challenge uh, but um, every time I met him I built up like a method and the way of like prepare me myself to meet him because I could like know that he's not um, in that room in his mind when I visit him sometimes so then I just read more about it. I met people who had their own experience and I just stuck it in like a curious person I am and try to find out okay, how could I give life quality to my dad as a son? And also I was observing like the care home how they did. And it was like not really nice. Uh, experience to see the care home, it's just like it's another product in the home. And um, so I started to do my training with my dad with everything I learned and read about. So I like mapping my dad's life and uh, come to the conclusion within the science uh, that he loved music, he was dancing uh, when he was young every weekend. So I knew, like, okay, music, he loves. And then he was uh, really good in soccer playing, so training and physical training. And he was talking about that very much. So then I realized, like, he needs physical training as well because they didn't give him. So everything on that one, it was like a puzzle that I found out that I wanted to, yeah. Make okay. it best to my father. So,
0: Okay. So um, can you share with us how you prepared yourself mentally to engage with your dad? Did you have a, a pattern of things that you did before you went and saw him?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, in the beginning, like uh, the first year when he still was at home, but I understood like, okay, it might be dementia or it's might be memory, but I will secure or make it sure that he really knows that I love him and really knows that I have been telling him like everything I wanted, so I could be like safe as well uh, for showing it. Uh, hopefully, I have been showing it all, all my all my life, but you know that was the preparing the first thing. I knew that I had told him and he had um, received all my love that I wanted to like share and when he moved into the care home uh, my preparation was like mentally it was like and emotionally I prepared like he might not recognize my, me this time how am i supposed to accept it and how am i supposed to act that and for me it was like okay if you don't recognize me at right away as like the natural um, response it's fine for me I accept that so that was my main preparation about that and uh, then I start to do more preparation like okay could I prepare myself to to involve him more when I'm um, visiting him and that's where the science came in to like okay the music he loves what happens if I put on the music he loves when I visit him or if I show the picture that he really remember really much about it so that was um, really turn over for me when he was like hearing the music. I could like tell his body language. He was like, after a few minutes, like he was uh, released. He was the more more conscious about where he was there because he, he had the music in the room. So so some of that kind of tips uh, I trade, uh, trained with my dad.
0: You know, I like, you know, when you had said you mapped his life, and at first, I wasn't sure where you were going with that, because people use that term in different ways. But bottom line, it was mapping it out of what brought him joy, what what kept him engaged. And, you know, when you mentioned the music, my mom loved music, too. And she would just light up. I mean, she would be kind of discombobbled and disconnected, but that music, it just, I, I mean, literally her head would cock and she would be, you know, clapping to the music, her toes and in, in hands and her whole body would go. I mean, one time she did a shimmy. I didn't even know she could move like that. And we all just laughed. It was like, Oh my gosh, that's been hiding all these times. But it it was, it's like an awakening within. And I, and I understand when you're talking about some people who have an experience might not get this, but there becomes this connection with who's ever around them in that moment, enjoying the music. I mean, it, you like it's you can't deny it. It's just it's magical. And then you also talked about dealing with him when he de- might not recognize you. And that is a thing that I think so many people don't consciously think about because it's so painful. Uh, I I know my my older brother had a horrible time with that. How could she not know me? I've been her kid for 50 years, you know, and he was just offended by that concept and and not, you know, like she's doing it purposely. And it has nothing to do with trying to make someone else feel bad. It's just the connections aren't always there. But I, I wanted to ask you this because even when my mom couldn't state my name, For example, my mom would call me her mom and I would come to the nursing home and she'd be with her friends and she'd say, and this is my mother. And she takes such good care of me. And my older brother was with me and he was like, what is she talking about? You don't even look like grandma. Aren't you mad? Aren't you angry? And and I would say, no. I said, Mark, you're forgetting mom didn't have a good relationship with her mom at all. Because her my mom's dad had a massive heart attack when she was 15. And her grandma had an or her mother had a nervous breakdown and she took off and she traveled the world and left my mom home alone at 15, which you couldn't get by with, you know, in these days. So my mom had a lot of abandonment issues and and um, wasn't close with her mom. And like I told my brother, I said, somehow that's healed for her and she loves her mom again. And I am honored to be part of that because it's all, it's all about the love. And as long as she feels safe and happy with me, she doesn't have to say my name. It's kind of like a small child might not know how to say your name or might not say it correctly, but if they want to play with you, they feel comfortable being close to you. What's wrong with that? Why do we have to push the envelope to make somebody state a name when, we communicate on so many other different levels and we ignore them. I I just, I don't, some days I don't understand how all of that can be ignored. And yet I think it's a real common factor that if you can't speak it, it's, you know, then it's not, it's not valued. Have you run into that?
1: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, thanks for bringing it up because that's one of my keys about the way of life. It's about like the programming we're going through as a child. And, um, what I'm, what I found out about the way when I was like, now, why would I like change the world? And, um, uh, I tried like to find the translation about like how I speak in Swedish, but it's like when you change the way you are, you change the world. And uh, what I want to say about that is like when I meet people who has issues, is it's like, like personal problems or anything, but for example, it's like, the secure about the name it's like i've been trying and uh, like i told you i have experience to live in the uh, monastery without telling the names i don't need because the body language tells me that my brothers loves me as i am and that's what i understood when my dad when i met my dad and he lost his like uh, speech as well because he was like lower and lower I, I couldn't hear sometimes but his body language told me and when I touched him I could feel like he touched me back with just a movement to press in my hand and that's what a signal that I teach other people to understand what does that signal means not the behavior because behavior is only a result of the signals that they are telling me so about that thing I want to like mind hack people like is it really your truth your own truth about the name of your your title in work life and get like unemployed they're losing the identity because their identity is the title I am the CEO I am the HR boss I am the leader so they're living by the titles. And when I talk to kids, it's the same thing. Why are you afraid of spiders Or like a teenager? And they said, I don't know, but I am. Okay. And why are you afraid of spiders? I asked them many times. And finally, they said like, yeah, it's because I heard it when I was very young from my mom. Ah, so you've been living through your mom's feelings all your life. Yeah. So are you afraid of spiders? No, I'm curious. Yeah. So, so, I mean, that's the thing I see how I want to change the people I meet. It's like the way they see the life. I mean, I grow up. Everybody is preparing about the newborn but nobody preparing for the death. And then it's like, why not prepare as much for the death as the newborn? Because we're, we know that both things are going to happen. Newborn and death. So that's the same thing with the diseases. Like, I'm not afraid of getting dementia um, or any other disease. I'm afraid of the people who are going to take care of me. And that's like, My main goal, like, okay, if I could teach or train people to just think differently, do differently, feel differently, then it's going to be like maybe um, like a better situation for everybody.
0: Oh, I, I totally agree. And I like when you brought up, you know, the newborn and the death. Because the newborn, like you said, we get all excited. We've we've never met this person before, but there's all this excitement. Then we live a full life, you know, or as long as this person's been around. We have have all of this contact, all of these memories. And then we just kind of want to ignore it and shove them out the door and get it over with and not think about it. And to me, that's such a dishonor to the person. You know, it, it, we really need to rally around and celebrate what this person gave us and how they enriched our lives and, and others and, and not be fearful of the talk. My mom was really big on death and dying. And so um, she would always bring us to, to funerals and wakes when we were really little. And she would actually get scolded by her friends for doing that. And my mom would say, they're around when they come in, they should be around when they go out, they need need to understand this whole cycle of life. And so when my mom actually passed, and for those of you that don't know, my mom lived with dementia for 30 years, in the end, she started coming to me in dreams. And she actually told me, you're not going to be here when I die. And I was all offended, because I'm always that person for transition and I'm like, well, What do you mean? And she just said to me very, very boldly, she said, If you're here, the rest of them won't experience death because you'll just take care of it and they they'll just stand back and watch. She said, I want them involved, and she said, I also want to know that you're going to continue your work. So when my mom was actively dying, I had two keynotes out of state, and I had to leave and Everyone in my family thought I was having a nervous breakdown because I wasn't at her bedside. And yet I was with her totally on a spiritual level. I mean, we were connected so closely and, you know, it was, it was an amazing trip. And yet I still got to experience everything through video conferencing and I could guide my family on what to do, but not be physically doing it so that they all got to participate, but that was, that was really important to my mom. You know, that was like one of her last teaching moments. And, you know, it was quite, quite beautiful and quite amazing for me to see on a spiritual level, how she orchestrated everything. And I really, truly believe she, she orchestrated everything. I mean, even with my trip on who sat um, next to me on the plane and who was with me every step? All these different people were like, they were like handpicked to make my experience comfortable and joyful and and not anxiety filled, which easily could have been the case. But like you, I think um, I think of the moment when you were in the door, and the you know the bullies made the comments to you. You were really grounded. I think I was really grounded too. in going, I am honoring my mom's last wish and there can be no wrong in that. And so that made me feel, you know, extremely comfortable and confident with that. But yeah, the messaging around death and dying has to change. I mean, it's, it it really, we've got to take this scary out because to me, I think it's one of the most beautiful moments you can participate in. It's, it's right up there with the birth of a child. Um, I, I, I can't say one outweighs the other, honestly, to me. And, and I don't know if that sounds goofy to you, but they're, they both can be very beautiful, beautiful experiences.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I totally agree on that one. Like, it's, it's similarity for me. I mean, mm-hmm. on my funeral uh, with my, like, grandma, grandpa, and my friends, um, parents and so on i mean i feel the power every funeral i've been on to but same as you saying to me it's like i i don't need to be there physically that's why i've been developing my emotional training as well and yeah, some people say it uh, spiritual, but for me, it's all energy. And what you put the label again, it mm-hmm. doesn't matter for me. But if you are there in your heart, um, mind, soul, um doesn't matter for me. So for me as well, like because I I already knew that the possibility that I will be at my mom's or dad's bed uh, when they are dying, it's very small because I will not manage to get in the car and go to the hospital or, or even at home. So i already prepared myself, like like you said, like I will be there when it's happening, emotionally, uh, mm-hmm. physically, if I can, but mentally I'm already there. Mm-hmm. So I'm very happy to hear that more people... Could actually prepare and train and develop their um, feelings, and that's what I understood like so many kids are living through their parents or the closest people around them by their feelings and will not discover or uh, experience their own feelings and even the adult that I coaching like they are start crying when I, like, go deep, profound, like, from the beginning of the childhood. And they're telling me, like, yeah, I remember now when I was in the sandbox and playing and I got, like, a plastic uh, tractor in my head and I was about to start crying because it hurt. But I had a voice who told me, stop crying, it doesn't hurt go play play on and then he realized like 57 years old it was my mom's feelings that i've been carrying around all my life and all my employees think i'm really tough and hard so after that coaching session he went out to talk to his employees and um, he started to cry and the employee was like um, Applauding, applauding him like, "Wow, we thought you were really hard and no feelings, but here you are." So he also understood like the way of leadership. You need to be wonderful, uh, one uh, honorable. Yeah. So I, I came to that like, if people or especially within dementia, because. That's something that I can't control by myself because it was my dad who was was controlling that process. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I could control everything else. Like I told you, like I prepare, I can uh, just make it the best of, put on some music um, and uh, do the physical training as well because it was a really good impact when I trained like, Martial art with him, uh, even he was in the wheelchair. Um, I could uh, train, and he was exercising. And you could feel his pulse. You could feel his heart beat like pumping up. And that was also a great impact uh, on his life quality.
0: Well, yeah, being engaged. I, I, you know, I think people kind of take that for granted, or you know, don't even don't understand how powerful that is to, to feel that you can uh, participate and that you can achieve at, at, you know, at any stage of life, you there's, there's all these levels of connection for me going through the disease journey with my mom. I found that there were multiple levels of unconditional love. I didn't know even existed before. And, and that I think, increased my spirituality or energy connection, whatever you want to call it. But it was incredible. I mean, you can't even put it into words. You know, that's about the best I can summarize it. But it it really was not of this realm of normal communication.
1: Yeah. And I actually now I remember one, um, one thing when I visited my dad one time. He wasn't speaking. He wasn't showing any like uh, body language or anything. So I understood, like, okay, today is gonna go really slow. Mm-hmm. So I was just in the room. He was living like an apartment room. Mm-hmm. So I was just sitting in the room, not talking to him. Uh, yeah, I was watching him or like that. But I just was sitting on his um, bed. And he was sitting in his wheelchair.
0: Mm-hmm. He was
1: looking out uh, the window, and through the window, it was like a flower in the window. Mm-hmm. And after like forty-five minutes, like because I reckon like it's very long time quiet and so on, but like forty-five minutes later, he just told me very clear, like he normally not speaking to me mm-hmm. clear. Hey, Jonas, can you move that flower a little bit to the right? Uh huh. It's in the way. It's in the way in my window. He said. uh huh. And I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. So I helped him, and then he went back, like totally quiet, and didn't uh, com- communicate anything with a body language or speech or anything. So I was like, that was like a, a new experience for me. So I was there like two hours. Uh huh. I did that just sitting down and I had to move that flower once (laughs) (laughs) but I I believe that I because I felt like he was there still the time within his energy and like that so that's what I just wanted to
0: tell oh that's neat thanks for thanks for sharing that I wanted to ask in terms of your coaching and stuff can can people sign up with you to to be coached on their dementia journey are you formally doing that
1: yeah i do but i do that nowadays one on one and mm-hmm. to build up build up the families mm-hmm. so i start maybe with a, like a son or daughter who got the parents Mm -hmm. So I start there as my own journey. But my goal on that journey is to involve the care homes and um, the the caregivers, the professionals also, to understand how how you can use the creativity and the insights and learn how to read and understand the signals. Because my dad, uh, he was like so many times just acting on his behavior and they like didn't want to understand, they didn't have the time to understand or like that. But then I, I introduced them why he did some of the behavior when I'm not there. So that's what I, I try to do now to share my knowledge, my experience. To people who are in, involved with dementia, uh, everything from like the emotional training and the mental training and how you could prepare yourself for every visit. If it's every day or it's once a week or, or once a month or once a year, but also like the communication, how you can speak without speaking. So... Mm-hmm so so i i train people uh, who hire me so one on one private and i do the organization because i need and i think like i said accelerate this journey because i'm not afraid to get with dementia but i'm afraid of the people who're gonna take care of me so
0: and i think if we can if we can remove that fear because i think you're not alone um, there's been so much stigma put on that, and again, people believe what they hear, and it becomes their reality, and they're really, you know, not thinking for themselves, which you talked about earlier. So I think that that's very, very important um, shift to be able to make. I also think, you know, when you talked about working with the monks, and you know, it was a, it was a silent um, retreat basically when you were there. I I went to a silent retreat, and it was only for 48 hours. And at first I thought, I can't do this. I talk all the time. Hi, hi, I'm not gonna. I loved it. And it took me two weeks to settle back into being at home with all the noise because everything seemed so loud and so crazy. And I realized how much I loved that peace and quiet. Cause you know, when you have that peace and quiet, you also have that opportunity to be calm. And it's much harder to be calm in a in busyness. And I think that's one of the problems too with, with staff and families is if something's not going their way, everybody gets anxious and they just keep elevating one another. And there isn't that grounded person to just go, okay, let's break this down. Let's just look at the why. Why did this happen? Let's not blame. Let's not go there. This isn't a punishment. Let's just figure out how to make it go better next time. And how to resolve this and and get everybody, not just the person with dementia, but get all of us calm again. And I think we're always looking at fixing them. And so much has to be done within us. And that is something that I think so many people don't want to tackle. That inner, that inner personal work that I'm fine. What do you mean? I'm fine. (laughs) Do you find that with people too? They kind of push it away and go, no, I, I just I need that person fixed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Everything starts with yourself. Uh, when you fix yourself, like uh, like everything, like from the mindset and uh, accept what you need to accept. And so when we do the reflection about it, um, like you said, uh, within the, the monastery, when it's silent, you get reflection automatically and your, I knew, I mean our senses is also enhanced I mean when you're quiet uh, your ear is hearing better so many people uh, don't understand the power of silence but also like many people is running away from what they are afraid of instead of running towards and that's what i using my martial arts as a metaphor like if I'm gonna uh, win the game or match about you, I need to, to go to towards you, not away from you. And that's the uh, the the moment that I see when people not continue running away, they are running towards the problem, the challenge, or themselves. Then they open up, and so so. I believe, as you said, um, we got a lot of things of training, of, but, I mean, eventually I think it's going to be the tipping point about, like, we can train. But, I mean, it needs to be from a young age during all life. So, I mean, the school system has a lot of teaching the kids about life and death. And yeah,
0: everything I, in between. I agree. My um, granddaughter, is, well, she's in first grade now, but when she was in kindergarten, uh, I'll never forget, we were bike riding and she, she hopped off her bike and then she sat down and, you know, she started meditating. She closed her eyes and crossed her legs and just out of the blue, like three different times. And I said, Well, what are you doing? She's like, I just need some quiet. And, you know, and she just meditated. And I thought, oh, What a beautiful thing that they're teaching. And it it was a real peaceful ride. And I wasn't quite connected with why she needed the quiet, but I think it was just more, she wanted to connect with nature on a different level um, than pedaling through. She wanted to absorb it was, was my perception of it. And she wasn't old enough to be able to say it, but I just, I was so amazed and I was so appreciative that they were teaching that because that was something that was never taught to me at that age. And I think if we can, if we can get kids to understand that they can be in control of their environment and their thoughts, and to be able to calm themselves down, the world's going to look very, very different to them, and um, and that's very exciting to me.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. You, I'm. I mean, that's what what my parenthood is like about. Like, I teach my own kids. I got two girls now, who is like eleven and thirteen. I train them without. They know that i am trained them about how to reflect and how to feel the body, feel the emotions. And I just want them to understand that they own their own life. Then I can be a guide. Uh, they don't need to do my mistake or must take. And mm-hmm. So I got to learn from it. But I could say, like, for example, with my own kids, you know, here in Sweden, uh, again, maybe not correct translation again, but here in Sweden, we always had been telling everybody, kids, uh, adults, have a good day. Mm-hmm. And I've been like, you can't have a good day. You ha- need to do a good day or make it great. that I heard English. Anyway, so, so every morning when I drop off my kids to school, I said, uh, make it a great day. And when we are coming home from school, i always asking, how did you make your day? And they said, oh, I had a I had a good day. And I said, yeah, why did you have a good day? Why do you ask so many questions that? Yeah, I'm curious. I want to know. I want to understand. So then we said, no, I don't know Why? Yeah, but you just told me it was good. And uh-huh. I was like, so nowadays we're just reflecting without knowing. It's like, like how did you make your day today? Ah, oh, I made it great today because I'm really proud because I helped my classmate within math with a, a challenge. And then it's like, yeah, then I checked boxes about like okay they could feel uh, proud they could help the people like the meaning so meaningful thing so they they checked the boxes about how they could be like secure i mean so it's really fantastic to follow very young journey as well
0: yeah i i love that you are making them conscious of you know, mm-hmm. and, and pushing them, and because I don't think we do that enough in our lives, and so we just throw those answers out. That yeah, it was fine, it was a good day, um, but no one re- really is quantifying what makes it a good day, or am I just saying that to get you off my back? And I have a um, a saying when I when I use the word caregiver, which I don't use very often, but I call it the car e giver, and the car stands for conscious awakening of relationships. And the e-giver is about the emotional giving. And to me, that is the key element to being a really a good care partner, care companion for somebody. It's really a, getting in that emotional zone of what do they like and, and what makes you feel good too as a person. And, and to me, that's, that's the zone. That's the sweet spot that is so often overlooked because we're so busy with our checklist and they... I have to do the wash and they have to go to the doctor and you're doing all these tasks. And I I fell into that trap too, where again, those things made me feel like I was doing something for a disease I was told I couldn't do anything about. And yet when you take that conscious approach to, you know, really making someone stay and and that reflects back on you as well. I mean, what a better way to take control of your day and take control of the disease um, and have much better outcomes than just a list that you've checked off with that. So, well, I really appreciate your time. I know you're a true believer that anything is possible. Can you give some people of of maybe an example for you, maybe a couple of things that, that you really want to focus on that you believe are, are possible that maybe others Others go, "Mm, I don't think so, but that are really strong and important to you.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, just that I've been growing up within, like, nothing is impossible. Uh, i only telling the people, like, it's only undone. Um, So, anything is possible, because nothing is impossible, just undone. And What that I see, it's like the historically everybody who said it's impossible to go to the space, yeah, it's done. And it was impossible to drive a car by fuel, yeah, but it's done. So it's like everything will be done if we take us on the challenge or so on. But Mm -hmm. So, so, for that example, when I came into like I met so many people where especially people like who are selling like the people is impossible, like I've been coaching people on, in the municipality where I live in the social care system, like they telling the the client is impossible, mm-hmm. yeah, he's been doing this for twenty years, and yeah that let me meet him. And then I listened to him uh, five times. I was coaching him a little bit and then he went off like off the hook. He was uh, getting his job that he wanted. But it's like, because he got the the stamp, it's impossible. Nobody cared to give him like the shot, And the same thing about the school system or the elderly care as well. Like if we have a the professional that actually want to make something different, but they can't or they are not allowed. So for example, it was like my dad, uh, again, for example, was like, he was peeing in the corridor in the flower, was standing in the corridor. And, you know, they said it's impossible to him to go to the toilet. So we put in the diaper instead on him. And then I said, yeah, but I know his history. He'd been working outside, outdoor all his life. So he's normally is allowed to pee outside in the tree or like that. And I told them, if you try to put the flower in the toilet, maybe he will go to the toilet by himself. And... No, we can't put the flower in the toilet. We are not allowed. We don't have uh, money to buy it and so on. Everything. But one young student who was uh, like, heard me and she told me the next day I visit, I tried it, Jonas, and it works. So Mm -hmm. same again, like nothing is impossible. It's just undone.
0: Yeah. Oops. I think part of it too is, I totally agree with it. It, Nothing's impossible. It's just undone. But I think we have to have the belief that we can change it. And I think so often we've been taught that it has to be this huge movement to make change. Everybody has to be on board. And I think it's really important that we teach people the power of one that they have. And I think we also have to honor creativity and allow like staff and individuals to be creative and think outside the box. If it's not working inside the box, then we got to think outside the box. And and to me, that's a really simple concept. And I kind of go, okay, this is like a common sense thing. Why, Why don't more people understand this? And it's because it's been such an ingrained belief that we've grown up with that our parents and their parents have believed, not that many people have really gone deep to say, well, what do I really think?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know? Yeah, and-
1: it, it's about the generation that you is uh, talking about. Because when I have lectures so or inspirational talk or mm-hmm. speech, I talk about um, the Christmas ham, uh, a story about, about Lisa, four years old, asking her mom, why do, does we cut off the ends of the Christmas ham before we put it in the oven and the mom she said no I don't know I haven't thought about it but uh, hey it was grandma who did it so I do the same thing ah let's ask grandma and we, they went to grandma and asked her and she said it's the same thing I don't know uh, you know the, the grand, uh, old grandma she She just did it, and we're asking her, and then she said, "Yeah, it was just I needed to cut off the ends of the Christmas ham to fit in the oven." Yeah, so it's like nobody questioned it. We're just doing it, And the same as you said talking about the programming, it's like, yeah, it's my feeling. If I put on my feelings to my kids, yeah, then we know the result again. So that's why I really want my kids to have their own feelings, their own feelings that they can control, that they really own Mm -hmm. as well. So that's where I see the challenge as well, like nobody really reflects on why do we do what we do. Mm -hmm. So no, that's the question like I really asking a lot like why do you do what you do and many people don't know because they haven't reflected they haven't valued it and revalued rethought about it so that's just like the way I want to like can you feel new things like can you rethink Mm -hmm. can you reset your programming so I really try and teach people to to be mind-breaking like mind-kicking like when I have a masterclass sometimes I, I just holding um up one thing and I telling the group like hey do you know what this fork is for mm-hmm. and everybody says Jonas it's not a fork it's a cup yeah but you didn't listen to me do you know what this fork is for? So eventually they're like, ah, now they got how to reset it. Because mm-hmm. if you don't know it, I can say anything what this is. This is uh, my Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. So so that's what I want to like train the, the mind, like the the mo- left side is the most people into. I'm more into the right side. So
0: Yep, that right or wrong side. You know, there's yeah. gotta be gotta be an answer and it's gotta be mine type deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we really, we really have to have to get away from that and um and learn from others. Just learn to communicate and bring joy and solace. And I think what a beautiful gift, you know, uh doing a coaching package with you would be for family and or for a community. You know, to to have let them open up and see things in a different light, and and help them build skills to deal with things differently. I mean, I I really can't think of a a, a better package to be gifted with, you know, than something like that. Because it's like you said earlier, it's something that people can utilize throughout their life. It's not just the dementia journey, but it'll change your whole world and how you look at it, how you react to it, um, and how you engage with it. So yeah. thank you. I don't
1: know. Yeah, Just for a short one. I know uh, it's time now, but I don't know in the States, but here in Sweden, when my father got the, the disease, uh, dementia, I got mm-hmm. the invite letter to, meet, to go to a meeting mm-hmm. to information about dementia. And, you know, they just talk and everybody was sitting. Nobody understood anything. So that's what, like you said, that's my intention now to, to help the municipality to have that package go to that place to get the methods, the techniques to try. Can I change my feelings? Can I, like that, what we've been talking to? Mm-hmm. That's what I think the municipality around the world needs to have as a services for their citizens. And that's going to grow. Uh, bigger that was the last thing I was thinking about our conversation today like you need it because when we get got to be parents we have four uh, groups to meeting and so on so
0: well and I think there's a big difference between going to a meeting and being talked at and being invited into a comfortable conversation that's not just one-sided where you're not just talking at but you want to hear their stories and because all of that embetters everybody who participates and then it brings it down to ground level. But people go, Oh yeah, that something like that happened to me too. I, I didn't know that anyone else was going through that. And, and it develops that compassion and that empathy and that it reduces that, that feeling alone. And that alone, I, I think makes such a huge, huge difference. So people can contact you by going to your LinkedIn page um, or your website, MindKicker, and we'll put those both up um, so people can see those as well. And your, your website is in Sweden. But if you go to Chrome and you go into the search bar where the URL is, you can click on a little icon to change uh, it into whatever preferred language you have. So, um, and that's very, very easy to do. But um, thank you so much for the work that you're doing and uh, it's so needed. And I really appreciate your time today, Jonas. Thank you. For our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this show. Please like, click and share. Uh, like, Like I always say, don't keep these nuggets to yourself. Share them. That's why we're here. Until next time, we'll see you later. Bye now. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors